Sensibly Speaking podcast. This is Chris Shelton, the critical thinker at large, coming at you in this early February 2019 for an episode that is actually long overdue. Um, I had actually thought that I had put, you know, in, in all the video content that I put out there, and there's a lot of it, I thought that I had covered certain things, and it turns out I hadn't, at least not that I could find that I had, and I never really gone into detail about some things about Scientology and training, training in Scientology, that I thought it is it is high time to do this. And the reason why <laughs> I'm doing it now, I get myself a little out of a little bit of hot water. See, last week in my critical Q&A show, I answered a question about uh, minors uh, in Scientology who get trained as auditors and then have to do security checking, uh, which is confessional type auditing, where you're asking for moral transgressions or sins, and you have to get all the details about those when you're doing security checking. So a security checker is a kind of auditor who's trained to do security checks. There's a special procedure to that, and that is taught at level two or class two on the uh, training bridge. Now, I have done a whole video about the training bridge and uh, the, the bridge to total freedom, and, and it's in the Basics of Scientology series, like this podcast, I'm sure, is going to go into that, that series as well. Um, and so I laid out the, the various courses, and I kind of described some of what is on each of them, but um, we're, I did not go into the level of detail necessary to explain why when I answered the question last week about minors auditing adults, I said I didn't particularly consider that it was, you know, extremely abusive for them to be doing that because I said that the training that they receive to become auditors is actually the really abusive part. And I got a lot of flack for that from some people. I had some people calling me a privileged white male uh, because I somehow was unable to empathize or see things from the viewpoint of a 14-year-old girl, let's say, uh, who is doing security checking. And so how can, you know, I'm just kind of missing the boat. Well, I found that rather rude. Um, but, but... I get why somebody might think that since I haven't put out the information necessary to explain why I would say or think that the training to become an auditor in the first place so that you even can do a security check, why would that be the abusive part of Scientology? And why would that, why would I think that that was worse than what was happening in the actual auditing session where a young adult, you know, a, a 13, 14, 15 year old young man or young woman might have to hear about the sexual escapades or masturbatory practices of some grown ass man or woman. And it applies equally on both ends, by the way. Uh, you know, uh, young men could be hearing all about this from, you know, grown women uh, pre-clears that they're auditing or vice versa, or same genders, doesn't really matter, right? Some people think, oh my God, that's ho so horrible. And I get it. I really do. But I think you're going to get my reasoning 
better after listening to this whole podcast because we're going to get into the nitty-gritty details of Scientology training now. And I'm going to walk you through the beginning courses that a person takes in order to become an auditor. And you're going to see, I hope, by the end of this, why I would say that that is actually the really abusive part. because it's, And it sets the person up, whether they're a young adult, old adult, whoever they are. It sets them up to, to be able to do the security checking. But by the time they're doing the security checking... They've already been through so many, run through so many gauntlets and been through so many scenarios that, um, that the real thing kind of pales in comparison. Um, all right, so let's go ahead and get into this. Uh, all right. And if you are not familiar with Scientology's Bridge to Total Freedom, uh, then I'm, I'm linking the videos that I made about that. There's a two-part series on that um, so that you can watch that because you should understand you know, Scientology is a really big subject. There are tens of books, thousands of lectures by L. Ron Hubbard, almost all of them given to auditors in training. Most of the lectures that Hubbard gave were not for the general public. He did do some public lectures, but they were, they were in, the, in the big, you know, overall library of L. Ron Hubbard lectures. Only a very small percentage of them were meant for raw public consumption. Most of them, and most of the things that you've heard L. Ron Hubbard say, either from quotes on my channel where I've, where I've taken bits from his lectures, or if you've seen them in other places on YouTube or around the internet, it's almost guaranteed that what you're hearing is L. Ron Hubbard talking to auditors in training. And he tended to be pretty technical sometimes and just kind of give it to them as though this is, you know, you know all about Scientology, you know all about where we're coming from and what the view is here, and here you go, right? And some of it's pretty outrageous information. And some people have listened to some of this and gone, my God, that's crazy. Well, it is crazy, okay? But actually, the really horrible part is that most of the time, if you're listening to these lectures out of context or listening to little snippets of them out of context, you're not even getting how bad it really is. As crazy as it might sound, it's, when you get the whole context of the thing, it's actually even worse. And that, of course, reminds me of the old tried and true saying that I uh, find over and over again to, to be absolutely true, Scientology is always worse than you think. All right, so training in Scientology, let's go ahead and really just dive all the way into this. When you go into a Scientology organization, there are two places where you can do classwork or training or courses. Uh, division 6 is the public-facing division of Scientology. In any Scientology service organization, there's a Division 6 area where new people get courses or training. And if you come in and you sign up for a communications class or a how to improve conditions in life or how to overcome ups and downs in life or how to care for your children or how to deal with a you know, successful marriage, those are all introductory courses that are delivered in the public divisions. They're short. They're, uh, there's not a lot of weird stuff in them. They're very, very, they're almost secular. 
Um, you know, there's not really a whole lot of religious mumbo jumbo. Keeping Scientology working is nowhere near that area. If you know what, I, keeping Scientology working is the is sort of the penultimate policy in Scientology. I've done whole videos breaking it all down. Um, it's, so it's very important, but it's not given to people when they first walk in the door on these beginning introductory courses. It's very light. The gradient, the toughness, the, 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 the ethics trouble people get into is all very hands-off, you know, how you doing? Is it going okay? Do you like the course? It's that kind of attitude towards new people. They're not hardcore, live or die if you don't make it, you know, that, that comes in the other area where courses are delivered in a Scientology organization, Division 4. That's the technical division or the production division. Every single service organization in Scientology has a Division 4, and that's where the major services or major courses are delivered. That's also where the major auditing actions are delivered. That's where you would go to get auditing that would cost you thousands of dollars uh, per 12 and a half hour chunk of auditing, because that's how they sell it, is by number of hours of auditing. So you buy 12 and a half hours and you go get it. And when it's delivered in Div Division 4, when you're in that area, now you're a real Scientologist. You're not getting the lightweight stuff anymore, you're getting the real deal. And, um, and that's so you can get the, the, the high-level auditing happens in Division 4 and the high-level training. It's called the Academy. That's the, co the course room that is in Division 4 is called the Academy. Um, and the course room that's in the public area is called the public course room. Uh, they're both public course rooms per se, right? In other words, they, they deliver services to paying public. You come in, you pay some money, you do the class. Um, so, but, but it's called the public courses because it's in the public divisions, which is in Division 6. That's the, that's the entry-level stuff and the pro stuff in Div 4. Um, I thought you might be interested in some of the reasons why Scientologists do training. Because if you think about it, why train at all? You come into Scientology and the goal is to get to operating Thetan. And theoretically, you don't really need any training at all. You don't have to learn much of anything in order to get auditing, hold the cans, be asked questions or be given commands and run through those commands or answer those questions and, and look in your past and find your past lives and find all the traumatic episodes and run them out. That's auditing, and you could just go in and pay thousands and thousands of dollars and not want to do any training and just go up the processing side of the bridge. A lot of people who come into Scientology, that's what they want to do. Um, so training is something that has to generally be sold to people, you know, unless there's something specific they're trying to resolve. And usually those are the kind of things that get resolved in the public division courses. Um, generally, Scientologists are not huge on training. I was. I was kind of an exception. But, um, and some people who come in are really insatiably curious about Scientology and all the things L. Ron Hubbard had to say about it. So you buy classes and you, or courses and you, and you do them and you get to listen to Hubbard's lectures and, and go through study materials where he's written, you know, he's got, he wrote thousands and thousands of, of bulletins and policy letters where he lays all this out. Um, and people go and learn that stuff. But most of the time, 
for Scientologists, they have to be sold on it. And it was funny because in the 70s, they actually put together a list of reasons why people should get trained. And I thought it might amuse you to go through some of those reasons. Um, but it also will help establish the mindset of somebody coming into an academy and doing auditor training. Because that's what you do in, in the academy is you train to become an auditor. Uh, and you are expected when you get trained as an auditor to actually audit. You know, as part of the classwork, you have to do some practice auditing on somebody else. And it's the real deal. Um, it's kind of like when you go do driver's training, you can go and do a simulator and, and, and you know, learn how to drive with the simulator, but you got to get out there and actually do some driving if you're ever going to be a driver. What's the same thing with an auditor? Um, one of the things that David Miscavige has done that has ruined much of Scientology training and has for the last 20, you know, years was he changed how training was done a little bit. Uh, well, actually, quite a, a tremendously large amount, um, so as to extend the length of time it takes to get through training. It used to be a fairly rapid thing. You could have come in, pay the, for the course, boom, boom, boom. A couple weeks later, they were done. But now, with all these heavy, long prerequisite courses and all this work that has to get done on them, it takes people months and months and months to get through these classes. You'll also see why when, I, when we go through the content of some of these classes. We're only going to go through a couple of them, um, but they'll, you, they'll, you'll get the point. So why would Scientologists train? Well, Reason number one, there are 71 of these. I am not going to read all of them. I'm just going to go through a couple of them to kind of give you the flavor of it. Uh, one, when a person is trained, he has the know-how to handle all situations in life. This training is essential to build respect for one's self and others. Training for life is, a big, is, a, is kind of a, a sales line in Scientology. When you go into auditing, and you are receiving auditing, you don't necessarily understand everything that's going on. You don't understand why you're being asked certain questions, why you're being asked certain questions over and over and over again, because uh, a lot of the auditing is repetitive. It's the same question fired at you over and over for hours. Um, and you don't really understand any of Hubbard's theories or ideas about the mind, the body, the spirit, or life. So training is where you learn that stuff. And the and the one the, the sales one the sales line here is that when you learn this stuff, it's much more valuable than a college education or any other kind of education you could get because you're learning about the mind, the body, the spirit and life. What's more important than those? Those are the fundamental building blocks of life itself, right? Everything in your life is you know, it, it runs into these things or has something to do with these things. So you should know about this stuff in order to get along better in life. Uh, also, an advantage to training is that you can co-audit. And that means that you can work with another person who's also training and you can audit him, he can audit you, and you can go back and forth and get up the bridge by doing that. So co-auditing is a legitimate way to do Scientology. It's a much cheaper way because you just have to work with another student and you guys audit each other. And I, I think I even explained that in my last Q&A or in the last week or two in the Q&A shows, I've, I talked about the whole co-auditing thing. 
okay, another reason. Whereas in the process of auditing, you delete charge from the being, only with training does the being get the know-how. With this know-how, your integrity with others improves. <laughs> uh, so charge is a term used in Scientology for mental trauma or stress. It's got electrical charge. Hubbard made claims about the fact that it's actually electrically charged mental mass that hangs out in your vicinity. You can't see it or weigh it because it's so tiny, but it exists and it exerts and has an influence on you. So so when you go into session and you, you know, run through some traumatic episode, it's called, and you get rid of it, it's called blowing charge or getting rid of charge, okay? Um, that's, that's just a Scientology slanguage for that. Another reason for uh, training, hear this all the time. 50% is auditing, 50% is training, and 50% is doing. <laughs> you see, that the idea here is that you have this bridge, right, as per the videos that I made, and you have a training side and you have an auditing side. So 50% of the bridge is auditing and 50% is training, but then the gimmick here, or the sales line is, and 50% is going out and doing. And if you don't get trained, you don't know what to do. You know, you go in session, you blow all this charge, and you feel great, but then what? You don't know. But if you're trained, you're supposed to know. <laughs> you don't, by the way, but <laughs> you're supposed to. Um, another reason training is using Scientology. It allows one to help clear the planet. It allows you to really get on the bridge. Uh, in the end, you'll be able to say you helped. Uh, an advantage of training is to know the technology and handle life and livingness and increase your own personal well-being. I love livingness. You know, it's so funny. When I was in Scientology, that this N-E-S-S um, suffix that Hubbard would add to words to make them nouns or make it some other kind of noun. I mean, livingness is a noun of live of the action of living, right? And And anyway... I just I, I was really used to that when I was in Scientology, and the longer I've been out, the weirder that looks. <laughs> um, the untrained one can be gotten out of the mess mankind is in, but the only way to stay out and make sure it doesn't happen again is get trained. See, one of the things in Scientology about, you know, you have this whole concept of past lives and future lives where you're going to live again. One of the biggest fears Scientologists have is that they're going to die before they get all the way through OT and they're going to forget everything. Because there's, according to Hubbard, there are mechanisms in place called between lives implants that you have, that you receive when you die. You, you die, your spirit goes off and gets implanted and you have to forget everything. And you got to start from scratch all over again. The only way to bust out of that cycle, according to Scientology, is to get trained so you retain the knowledge of what's going on. And so when you come back around next lifetime, you'll still remember because you'll avoid those implants and, and, the, and they won't have as much of an effect on you, right? If you only get auditing, you, you might not know what's going on when you die and you might get caught in one of these theta traps, uh, that exist out there. They're kind of like little bear traps out there for spiritual entities and uh, called thetans in Scientology, right? 
and you and you die and you you don't know where to go or what to do you're wandering around like oh now what do i do i guess i gotta go find another body somewhere and if you're not trained you don't know the life your body mind anything right so you're just going to wander around and do the same crap you did 10 million times before and you're going to end up in another body and you're going to forget everything and maybe you won't even get back into Scientology. And wouldn't that be a disaster? Well, according to Scientologists, it would. So this is another reason why training is pushed as something that is supposed to be important for Scientologists. Um, whereas auditing handles past upsets, Training shows you how to handle things as they occur in present time. This training adds enhancement to your personal well-being. And like I said, I'm just kind of randomly going through some of these arguments, right? Auditors are the most valuable beings on the planet. This is a very big line in Scientology. There is no one anywhere who's more valuable to mankind in general, according to Scientology, than auditors. So it's definitely big. If you haven't noticed yet, there's a lot of status buttons being pushed here with, with these arguments. That's par for the course for Scientology because Scientology plays on people's status buttons all the time. Uh, we'll just go through a couple more. Trained auditors make the best executives. Okay. So, in theory, that's supposed to be true, but I'll uh, remind everybody right now that David Miscavige is a trained auditor, and he is one of the worst executives <laughs> on planet Earth. All right. Um, yes, blah, 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 blah. Okay, here's a couple more, and then we'll wrap up. You become more capable and able as a being once you know the mechanics and workings of the mind and how a Thetan reacts. You get all the knowledge on each subject or part you study. From that, you yourself can develop and increase your own abilities and therefore make tremendous gains by just study alone. You get data you can actually use in life. You make things happen for you which others would think are miracles. Okay? So that's the headspace that people get into when they're being sold Scientology training. So that, you know, there they go, and they go in there, and they, and they get started, okay? So let's, now what are they going to get started on? Well, the first thing a person's going to do, or generally going to do, when they go into the academy, is they're, the, 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 is they're going to do a course called the Student Hat, okay? And now we're going to really get into the details of this. The, it's called the Student Hat. There's a, there's a, every single course in Scientology is done on what's called a check sheet, and it's, uh, um, I'll throw a, an image of one up here so you can kind of see what I'm talking about. A check sheet is just a bunch of pieces of paper with a, bunch of, with a list of, of items or issues to study, lectures to listen to, demonstrations to do, or practical exercises to carry out in order to get through the course. And they're laid out in a very exact sequence, and you have to do them all in sequence. You can't skip around on a Scientology check sheet. You have to do item one and you finish it. Then item two and then you finish it. And if you have some downtime in between, you go review your materials. You don't go randomly forward in your materials, okay? Uh, but it's supposed to be when a course period is happening, like let's say you're in the evening course, so you're there from seven until 9.30 at night. For those two and a half hours, 
you show up in the classroom and there's a course supervisor there. And he's not a teacher, he's a supervisor. He looks over and watches all the students while they're studying. And his job is to make sure everybody gets there on time. He calls a roll call and then he gets everybody started. And his job is to keep everybody moving, answer questions by reference to materials or dictionaries or encyclopedias where, where they'll find their answers. They're not supposed to be giving verbal answers and we'll go over a little bit of that later. Um, so the supervisor is there to, to kind of push the students through their materials and his job is is gauged how successful he is as a supervisor is gauged by how much progress his students are making each day. So if uh, you know a student comes on course and he only gets through half a page of study because he gets bogged down in something, that's not so good. The supervisor is going to be putting attention on him and trying to debug him and get him moving. Whereas maybe another student is just flying right along and he, the supervisor kind of leaves him alone because he's reading and studying and he looks good and he, and he seems to understand what he's doing and he's kind of smiling and he's sitting there studying and he's going along. Okay, supervisor leaves him alone, puts the attention on the, the students who are not moving as quickly as they should be. Um, so that's, that's a, it's a, it's a, there's also, Sometimes, in, in some classes, classrooms, there is a word clearer. That's another staff member, or it could be another student who is assigned to do this, but uh, mostly there's a staff member there whose job it is to do this, and the word clearer is there to clear up the definitions of words that the person, the student, doesn't understand or is not able to understand for some reason or maybe misunderstands in some way. And uh, the word clear is there to help him out. So if a student is moving slow, bugged, not getting through his course, instead of focusing all of his attention on just that one student and ignoring everybody else, which can be you know, bad for a supervisor if he gets stuck with one guy and he's not helping everybody, um, the supervisor might send that bogged, bugged up student to the word clear, and the word clear is supposed to work with him and get him, get him debugged. Uh, that way the supervisor can keep his attention out on everybody and help everybody out equally. So that's kind of the environment that you go into when you're in an academy. I personally supervised for years in academies. Uh, so I was the supervisor. I've been a word clear. I've done all these jobs. Uh, and I did it in Santa Barbara. And I also did this kind of work when I was in the C organization. Uh, okay. So you show up in the classroom and you're going to do the student hat course. Now, why is it called a hat? Well, it says right on the check sheet, a hat refers to the special duties someone does as part of his job, position, or role. This term comes from the fact that people such as firemen, policemen, or train conductors often wear special hats to indicate their jobs. A hat also refers to the specific pack or material that a person needs to know how to do his job, also known as wearing his hat. So this is a Scientology term. Uh, well, it's actually not totally a Scientology term, but it's, but it, it's used extensively in Scientology. Uh, so the student hat is the course that teaches you how to put uh, your student hat on. So now you know how to be a student, okay? Um, and there is a pack of materials that teaches the study technology that L. Ron Hubbard supposedly developed. He really didn't. I did a whole video on who actually developed that stuff. But um, the student hat, the purpose of this is to teach you how to study. 
okay, basically. And there's a lot of material that Hubbard wrote or lectured on or put together that has to do with how to study. And, you know, it kind of makes sense that you would start with that because people come into a classroom in Scientology from all different backgrounds, all different cultures, all different regions, and maybe they know how to study and maybe they don't. You know, it's not something that's necessarily taught in schools. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's not taught in Scientology organizations either. They just think they're teaching it that. Um, the student hat is full of grossly false information about study and how people learn things. Uh, this course is, from beginning to end, detrimental to your ability to study. Uh, and we're going to go over why. Okay, I'm actually going to dig into the pack here and we're going to go through some things. Um, the first thing is that when you, and I want you to also keep in mind our young adults who are going into the classroom for the first time to do these classes, okay? That's sort of the thing I want you to have in mind. Not necessarily how would, you know, I'm sure as you listen to this, you'll react to how you might respond to some of this information or how you might feel about some of this information. But I also want you to keep in mind how a 12, 13, 14-year-old might respond to this as well and what this would do to their ability to apply this information or study or learn or have, you know, relation as, as we go through the rest of the classes too. Um, how would this material affect their ability to have relationships with other people, communicate, uh, get along with, you know, that sort of thing, right? Just kind of something to keep in mind. So this, the student hat has two parts to it. You go through the first part twice. The first time through, you look for each word you don't understand in the study tapes and the study tech issues. Okay. The student hat consists of a pack of materials, issues, and a series of lectures that L. Ron Hubbard gave in the 1960s about the subject of study. The, the big thing in Scientology, if you haven't guessed already because I'm talking about words and word clearing and dictionaries, is if you're going to study something, you have to understand the, the terminology, the vocabulary, the words that you're reading. And, if, and this is to such a degree, this has been taken to such an... Uh, uh, an exaggerated, just completely hyped up, uh, uh, way over the top amount in Scientology that they are absolutely paranoid about a student in a classroom going past a word in his materials or a symbol, could be a word or a symbol, that he doesn't fully understand. So that's why you have to go through part one Twice, you have to go through and you have to look up each word you don't understand in the, in the lectures and in the pack of issues. And then, once you've done that, now you're supposed to have some kind of idea of what it all says. And then you go through it a second time because now you're not supposed to have the misunderstood words that are, in, you know, keeping you from being able to understand every single word and line of L. Ron Hubbard's spoken and written words, okay? So the second time you use the study tech, that's what it's called, all these procedures and methods that are on the student hat, all of this collectively is called the study tech or study technology. It's how you study, in Scientology at least. It's not, believe me, 
This is not how you study, but this is how L. Ron Hubbard says you study. So once you've gone through it the first time and cleared up all your words, you got to go through it all again, okay? And um, then you go through part two twice, applying study tech to the materials. Then you take an examination. If you don't pass it, you'll do the course a third time. You cannot graduate until you pass the final exam, but you may repeat the course as many times as needed. I am literally reading from the check sheet right now. Uh, it says, this is the most important course you will take in Scientology. Its technology makes possible full conceptual understanding and application in all future Dianetics and Scientology courses, as well as any other subject in life. This is not just meant to be used in a Scientology classroom. Once you learn study tech, it becomes a moral issue for you to always apply it no matter what you're trying to learn or what area of life you're looking into. Even outside of Scientology, physics, geometry, sociology, anything that you might be looking into or trying to study, you're going to get, you know, uh, ground into your head here on this course that you better not go past any misunderstood words. Um, so this, uh, the purpose Yes, the product of the course, the end product of this course is an able student who knows how to study. Now, not only on the student hat do you have to read the material and have a dictionary there and look up any word you don't understand, but after each item, you have to go see that word clearer or somebody who's going to hold that position so that you can be put on an e-meter, hold the cans. This is the universal symbol for holding the cans on an e-meter if you're watching this on video. And you are going to be checked over on that material. This is called method four word clearing. Uh, there are nine different kinds of word clearing in Scientology, nine different ways to find and look up words in a dictionary and get them, and get them cleared up. The different kinds of word clearing mainly specialize in different ways to find the misunderstood words. Looking them up is the same no matter how you do it. It's all in a, you just look them up in a dictionary. And we'll go over the procedure for that actually. But, um, but this, this means that when you're on the student hat, you read the first item, uh, which is um, definition of a student. That's the name of the issue. And so you read the definition of a student, the, the issue that's called that, and then you go see the word clearer, and you have to get method for word clearing on it. So the, the word clearer will put the issue in front of you, a page at a time. You'll hold the cans, and the word clearer will direct your attention to the actual page in front of you. And you will then be asked, is there anything, is there any word, or sorry, is there any part of what you're studying you did not fully get? That's the question that will be asked of you. And, if the, and the word clearer doesn't care what you say. The word clearer is watching the e-meter. And if the e-meter reads, if the needle moves in response to that question, then you have to look and see what was it you didn't understand. And you have to eventually find the word you don't understand and get it cleared up. And this is, this is supposed to be using the e-meter, which is supposedly operating at a subconscious level, which it is. Kind of. Uh, there's a lot of explanation of the e-meter. We're not going to get into it in this podcast. But um, the e-meter is used to find words you're not even aware that you don't know. And, of course, this leads constantly, constantly to people having to look up words that they do already understand fully. 
but because the e-meters said they don't, they have to clear it up. This creates a lot of frustration, um, you know, because if the meter, the, the meter is believed in Scientology more than the person is. So you just have to go along with the procedure. And again, I want you to think about young people doing this, right? It's like, no, I understand it. I get it. This is, I'm, I'm perfectly happy with my understanding of this material. Well, there's something here you don't get because the meter says so. I mean, this is literally how the conversation would go. Well, I, I, I need you to take a look because the meter here, you know, there's something going on. And the guy goes, oh, my God. Well, all right. You know, and then the, the word clearer might go, well, just take a look over the page. And the word clearer might look and see if the needle moves again. And if it does, they might, what's that? What's that thought you're having? And the person goes, well, I'm thinking that I actually understand this. Okay, well, I understand. But take a look and see if there's something else there that you don't totally get. Because, you know, we got to find it. And the guy goes, oh, man. And he looks and looks. Finally, they'll come up with some word and they'll open up a dictionary and they'll look it up and they'll go through and clear it up. And we'll, like I said, we'll go over a little bit later how that's done exactly. Every single issue that you're going to read on the student hat, you have to go through this procedure until there's no more responses on that e-meter for every single issue. So it's a little bit of a gauntlet that's set up for you here, you see. This isn't just a matter of sitting down, reading some stuff, and going, okay, wow, I get it, I'm done, this is great. You know, no, we're going to grind it into you. Um, so you have definition of a student, you have study definitions, and then you have to write an essay to explain how the definition of a student applies to you and what your purpose is for studying this course. And then you get into, okay, now we get into how to clear a word. So there's a bulletin on clearing words in Scientology, and what it says is if you're going to look up and clear a word, the way you do it is you first find the definition that fits for the context in which it's being used. So let's say you've got a word that has five definitions and it's got a derivation, an etymology as well. Most dictionaries list etymologies for where words come from. Sometimes they also list synonym studies or usage notes for the word, and dictionaries also give you a little pronunciation guide on how to say the word. So the first thing you do is find the definition that fits for the context, and you, if you don't know, you just start at number one. And you uh, read the definition out loud, make sure that you understand it and that there aren't any words inside the definition that you don't get. Then you think to yourself and you go, okay, and you kind of come up with what that means in your own words, and then you start making sentences with the word. One, two, three sentences usually does it, but sometimes it can take five, ten sentences to kind of get your wits around that particular usage, especially if it's a new usage you've never heard of before. So you clear that definition up, and then you go to the first definition, if you're not already on it, and you do the same thing with definition number one. You read it, understand it, come up with sentences for it. Then definition two, three, four, five, all the way through. Obviously, you don't go back over the one you already cleared. But you go through all the definitions except for any that are specialized uh, or specific for, um, you know, certain jobs, let's say. Like, you wouldn't clear up an engineering definition for a term unless that was the one you were actually running into in the material you were studying. You also wouldn't clear up any archaic or old or, you know, not used definitions anymore. Those are interesting, but you don't have to clear those up. But every other one you got to clear up. 
Then, when you're done with all the definitions, you're supposed to have a pretty good concept of the word. You then finish it off by reading the etymology of the word and making sure you understand where the word came from and what it used to mean or how it was formed. And then if there's any synonym studies or usage notes, then you read that. So you kind of get a, a very good idea of what the word means. I have no objection to how to clear a word. This is, this is a very thorough way of understanding vocabulary. And in and of itself, there isn't anything wrong with that. There's nothing particularly abusive about looking up and clearing up the different definitions of words. It helps improve your vocabulary, and it truly is a good thing to do. It's not what you have to do in order to understand a whole subject, though. And it's not like if you don't do this, you're doomed to failure and you will never understand anything you are reading or studying. That's where Scientology goes off the rails with this. Anyway, you learn on the student hat early on here everything I just told you about how to clear a word. And then you have to go and get the method for word clearing on the issue you just read. Make sure there's no misunderstoods in it. And then you have to do a practical where you actually go and choose a word and look it up in the student in, in the dictionary and get it all cleared up, right? Look rapidly over the definitions, read the definitions, blah, blah, blah. Lists all the steps, right? Um, Oh yes, also I failed to mention any idioms that the word might be part of. You clear those up also as part of the clearing it up. Um, you know, it's because sometimes idiomatic uses are kind of interesting because the word doesn't is used in a way with other words in an idiom that does not fit any of the other definitions of the word. So anyway, so you clear up those two. And da-da-da-da-da, continue, and then you get a final checkout from your supervisor on how to clear a word, okay? Then there's a whole section on using a CD player, and you have to read the manual on that and learn how to play the CD player, and then you dive into the lectures. The study tapes is what they're called, because they used to be, of course, on cassettes or on reel-to-reel -reel, uh, tape, right? Now they're on, you know, CDs, uh, but they're still called the study tapes. And there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight of these lectures from 1964. And the last one was given in 1966. These lectures have titles like Studying Introduction, Studying Data Assimilation, A Summary of Study, Study Gradients and Nomenclature, Study Evaluation of Information, Study in Education, A Review of Study, and study and intention. Uh, okay, so you have to go through each of the lectures, and when you listen to the whole lecture and you've gone, and these are about 60 to 80 minute lectures, so it could take you hours to get through them because you have to listen to the whole lecture. There are, remember, these are lectures where L. Ron Hubbard was actually talking to auditors about auditing. So there's auditor terminology and there's information in these lectures about how you go about doing auditing in the mind and stuff like that. Hubbard would just throw stuff out. You've, most of you have probably heard him talking and he just kind of rambled in many of his lectures. So he does the same in these study lectures. I have personally listened to these things about five or six times. All of them. <laughs> so there's a lot of rambling in these lectures. Now, they actually edited these lectures and took out a bunch of the auditing terminology and procedure that was in the lectures. 
um, in order to make it easier for people to study it on this course. But there's still complicated lectures and there's still tons of words Hubbard uses that are kind of rare and weird words and specialized words like photography words. He talks about when he was learning how to be a photographer. So he throws out a photographer terminology and lighting and sh you know shade and how to set up this kind of stuff. So you end up learning about this stuff while you're reading these or listening to these lectures because you can't go past any word you don't fully understand, right? And you're going to be checked on these. Now here's the other thing about this is that a lot of all of these when you go through these the second time through after you've gone through all of this and you go through again, every one of these issues and lectures also has a checkout that you're going to get where you're going to have to you're going to read it you're going to say I got it and you go and you get your word clearing and it's all cleared up and then somebody's going to go good now come with me and you go over into the practical room um, the course room is divided into a theory room and a practical room the theory room is quiet like a library everybody's just studying the practical room is noisy that's where people practice stuff so you go over to the practical room to get a checkout and somebody sits and down with you and the way the checkout goes is you are first spot checked on, mis on words throughout the text and if it's a lecture, you, they use the transcript and the transcript goes on for pages. So you're going to be checked on one or two or three words per page and, and here's how it goes. You're asked, let's say that the, the spot checker is going through and says, okay, what's the definition of... Uh, and, the word and. Then you go, and, uh, well, it's a conjunction and it, um, and if you say um, or uh, or stumble, or falter, or, or hesitate in any way, flunk, you don't understand that word, go back and look it up and restudy the material. And you're like, what? I just, I went through it all, I cleared my words, I went to the word clearer, I got word clearing on it, I, I restudied it until I passed the word clearing, and now you're sending me back again because I said, um? Yes, that's exactly how the checkouts work. And they work like this through all Scientology courses from this point forward. You're going to be getting checkouts all the time on stuff. The word check, the, the, the spot check of words is just the first part of the checkout, right? Because if you flunk on a word, you got to go back, clear up that word, and then restudy everything from that point where the word is in the material all the way to the end again. Because it's assumed that if you had a word you didn't fully understand and you can't define when you're asked what's the definition of the word, then you don't understand it. So therefore, you don't understand the material, you see. So you have to clear that up and you have to then go study again and then you get checked out again. So the checker-outer comes back around and asks you the word again. What's the definition of and? And this time your answer better be a word that joins other words, phrases, or clauses. It means plus or in addition to or also. And that better pop right out of your mouth or you're screwed, <laughs> right? Because you can get flunked again and again and again. And they're going to be asked random words. And any word or symbol in the material is fair game to be asked including what's this little apostrophe, what is a period, what's this semicolon, what do these symbols mean, as well as the words, right? So anything you could be asked, and if you hesitate, it's game over. If Once you get through the, the spot check of the words, 
You are then asked application-type questions. How are you going to use this material? Hubbard talks here about uh, encyclopedias and how important encyclopedias are. How are you going to use this with encyclopedias? What are you going to do in your study with that, right? And you're expected to be able to give a rapid, um, salient, you know, it's relevant and, uh, and, uh, and complete answer to how you would use this material, right? And you'll be asked a bunch of different application type questions. The idea of a checkout, and this is called a star rated checkout because there's a little asterisk by the issue on the check sheet indicating that, it's, that you're supposed to get a checkout on it. All of the issues on the student hat get a checkout like this. So you're gonna be run through the gauntlet on every single one of these issues. And, uh, and you better not mess up, okay? Uh, oh, also as part of the checkout, it's not just asking you questions, but there's also a little demo kit, okay? This is the other part of study in Scientology, is the, is the, the, the mass of a thing, the, 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 the physicality of a thing. Um, Hubbard says, and it's, and it's fairly true, that if you're trying to learn about cars or ships or planes or something physical, something real, Actually, really, much of anything, if you're trying to learn about much of anything, if you don't have the mass of the thing around or available to look at, like pictures of it or, you know, photographs or drawings or some kind of representations of, of what the thing is, right? A model of it would serve uh, or, of course, the real thing, right? If you don't have that, sometimes it can be really difficult to read dense material that's describing all the details of a thing. For example, it would be very difficult to get through a manual about the engine of your car if you were sitting in your living room and didn't have a picture or photograph or anything showing you the engine. And you're sitting there reading all these words about the distributor valve and the fan belt and the the accelerator and the, the gaskets and the this and the that. You're reading about all this stuff, but you don't have a, a concept of what this stuff actually looks like, feels like. It would be more helpful, obviously, if you took that and you had a picture or you took it out to your car and popped the hood and, oh, there's the engine, here's the this, here's the that, here's the other thing, right? Kind of makes sense. One of the ways this is substituted for in a Scientology classroom is with what's called a demonstration kit. It's a little basket with little rubber bands and paper clips and bits of wood and pieces of plastic in it. And you, you take out the demo kit and you have each piece kind of represent the thing you're talking about. So in a checkout, you could be asked, show me with a demonstration how you're going to clear a word, let's say. So um, you would then take the demo kit out and you'd say, well, this little block of wood is the dictionary, and this little rubber band is me, and this little piece of uh, paper clip is my check sheet. And so here I am, and I'm, and I'm reading the, the, looking at the check sheet, and I get the encyclopedia, and I open it up, and you actually use the demo kit to show what you're talking about, right? Demonstrate it. And the idea is that if you can't demonstrate it, or you're fumbling around, or you go, well, I think I might do this, I'm not sure. Okay, go back, go flunk, go back and study the material. You didn't get it, you can't apply it. Something's wrong here, you got some word you don't understand. Go back and find it, and you gotta go back and do the whole thing all over again, right? And get rechecked out 
so that you actually can use the information, right? So that's the final little cherry on top of each issue that you're going to be studying on the student hat. So I hope you're kind of getting the idea with all this stuff that I'm going through here that it is a slugfest getting through a Scientology class, especially when you're first starting and you don't get all this stuff about dictionaries and words and how all this stuff is supposed to work and you're not yet trained or indoctrinated yet in how to, you know, do all this stuff, right? And you take it all very seriously, and it's very, very serious, right? When you're, in, when you're in a Scientology classroom, this is not the time to be messing around or making jokes or cracking up or anything like that. Nobody's interested in that. You're in there to study and get through these materials, and you better have your nose on the grindstone, and you better be getting through it, right? That's the supervisor's job, is to pound you and get you through this thing. So that's kind of the whole attitude about this. And now here's the other thing about this. I said that the supervisor is there to sort of watch over the students and make sure everybody's moving through their classes. Well, the supervisor is specifically trained in all of this study technology. If the students have to know it, the supervisor has to know it 10 times better. So the supervisor, the classes to become a supervisor include all of this information. This is why I listened to those study tapes so many times, because I did supervisor training three times when I was in Scientology. Big, huge, chunky classes about how to teach people using this technology. So I had to really learn this stuff. And the reason why I had to really learn it is because when you are watching or supervising the students as a supervisor, um, my job was to watch their physiological reactions to what they were studying. Yeah, their physiological reactions to what they were studying. If they're sitting there reading and they look like they're doing fine and they got a little smile on their face and they're just calmly going right along, I leave them alone. But if they're blinking, fidgeting, goofing around, if they're yawning, this is a big one, if they're yawning or getting tired or drifting off in any way, I don't care how little sleep you had last night, I don't care how hungry you are, I don't care how low your blood sugar is, I'm going to make you find and clear a misunderstood word. If I see you yawning, doodling, daydreaming, anything other than studying your material with a nice little smile on your face, nodding and happily going along with it, I'm going to stop you. I'm going to walk up to you as the supervisor. I'm going to say, it looks like you went by a word you didn't fully understand. Let's take a look and find it. I'm not going to ask you if you have a misunderstood word. I'm telling you that you have one. And your job now is to listen to me and find your misunderstood word. Not argue with me, not back talk, not tell me how you really get it, not, you know, throw a fit, not any of that. You do any of that, you're out of here. I'm going to send you off to the ethics officer. I'm not going to mess around as a supervisor with you giving me a hard time. I'm the supervisor, you're the student, I say you do. That's how the relationship works. So when I come up to you and I say, hey, what's happening? Uh, well, you know, I'm, I don't know, I'm, I'm doing all right. Okay, well, looks like you passed a word there. Let's, let's, let's uh, take a look and find it. And now my job, now that I have initiated this activity, it's called supervisor two-way communication. <laughs> and once I've started it, 
I'm not done until I have found your misunderstood word and gotten you on to clearing it up with a dictionary. And I'll sit there and I will, I will ask you to, to look back over what you've already studied and see if there's something there you don't fully get. If you can't find anything, if you think everything's wonderful and it's just because you didn't sleep great last night, well, I might ask you, what do you mean you didn't sleep great last night? Well, I only got three hours of sleep. Well, then what are you doing coming to class with only three hours of sleep? Off to the ethics officer, right? You're wrong anyway. If you only got three hours of sleep, you're not well rested, you're not in shape to study, I'm going to ship you out of the course room and you're going to go talk to the ethics officer about it and you can deal with him. That means, by the way, that if you're talking to the ethics officer, that means you're in trouble. Um, if you give me any lip, I'm going to send you to the ethics officer. So we're going to find your MU, and if you can't find it, I'm going to spot check you, just like in the checkouts. I'm going to ask you. I'm going to go start looking over the words, and I'm going to go, well, what's the definition of as? Yeah, as, A-S. What's the definition of as? And if you don't tell me, what that word means with no hesitation, no frowny face, no, uh, uh, I don't really know, then I'm going to flunk you. I'm going to say, no, flunk, look it up. And you're going to clear that word up. And you know how many definitions the word as has in the dictionary? <laughs> look it up. Check it out. It's a lot. You're going to be sitting there for probably about an hour sorting out grammar and phrases and clauses and all kinds of fun stuff, clearing up those small common words of the English language like as, or, but, then, uh, then, than, there, 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 all those words, right? Between uh, all the conjunctions, all the little joining words, all those little small common words. You better know the definitions of those words and you better know them right off the top of your uh, tongue, right? Uh, or you're going to get flunked and you're going to be going back over those. So it's pretty common for when people first start Scientology classes like this that they spend a lot of time in dictionaries, weeks, clearing up this stuff. They have grammar books in the classrooms, dictionaries, encyclopedias, reference books. The entire Oxford English Dictionary is usually in every Scientology classroom. And those things get used to clear all this stuff up because you're supposed to know all this. And you learn right away that you're going to have to become a very literate person to get through Scientology classes. And there's nothing wrong with being literate. There is everything wrong with telling somebody that they can't understand something if they don't understand all the words that are in it because that's just not true. And it adds weeks and weeks to people's lives. But here's what else it does. It starts setting up a situation with them where they have to start faking how they look and how they act while they're studying. You know, people come at study from all different kinds of attitudes and, and backgrounds and ideas. Not everybody sits with a little smile on their face, nodding as they're reading or going, yeah, this is, you know, wow, this really makes a lot of sense. Some people read like this. Their face, you know, they got their hand over half their face. They're perfectly comfortable. They're doing fine. They're understanding what they're reading. But my job as a supervisor is to walk over there and go, dude, what's up? You don't look so good. And now, because he doesn't look so good, the physiological phenomena connected with him is telling me, because of my training from L. Ron Hubbard, 
that this guy has a misunderstood word. So I got to jump all over him and I got to stay on him until he comes up with some misunderstood word. I'm not going to give up. So people learn in a Scientology classroom to sit upright, to, you know, have all their things in order, to have a little smile on their face, and they just kind of fake this whole persona of a happy, good student. Because if you don't, then all the consequences I've laid out, you see. So this is just the very first gauntlet that you run through in Scientology training that you got to learn about. And you got to learn all these little things about it, right? So, okay. So you get through the study tapes and you get through these checkout issues and demonstrations and then you learn also about the clay table work, which, which I think most of you have, have seen or heard about where I laid out that business about having a little demonstration kit and you can show things with the little pieces. Well, there's also the next level up from that is called a clay demonstration. And you literally mold clay into people and figures and cars and this and thought bubbles and all kinds of things to show or demonstrate something in three full dimensions in clay that you have modeled. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't, they, they're pretty crude looking. Clay demos don't look like little artistic renderings. They look very, very crude. But this is another part of the study is in order to get that mass that we were talking about earlier, you have to make it and mold it in clay. This is the most unnecessary bunch of nonsense you've ever had anything to do with. Very rarely do clay demos actually help students. Most of the time, it's just a completely arbitrary assignment uh, because it's on the check sheet and you have to do it. And it can take upwards of an hour or two to do a clay demonstration. Because when you put it all in clay, let's say you're going to do a clay demonstration of a person who is uh, auditing another person. So you have to make a man and a chair and you put the little clay man. And it's got to, the figures have to be big, by the way. I'm holding up my hands. They have to be like three, four, five inches tall at least. They can't be little tiny figures. Hubbard said they have to be big, big, all capital letters. So you make a person, you make a chair, you make a little table, you got, you know, rollers and knives and you're, and you're cutting out little, little tables and chairs and people. And every time you make something, you put a little label on it saying what it is. So you might make a man and you put a little label on it that says auditor or, you know, man, or person, or whatever it says on a bill. And then you put the chair. And you can't explain what's going on in the labels. The labels can only label what the thing is. Table, chair, man. The clay has to show what it is that you are demonstrating. And so somebody, the supervisor, comes over after you're done, and he looks at it. And if he doesn't see what you're trying to show in the clay, it's a flunk. If he looks at it and says, well, it looks like two guys sitting at a table. No, nope. flunk, that's a flunk. Because if your label says that this is supposed to be, if you're supposed to be showing in clay an auditing session and the supervisor doesn't see an auditing session, then you got to do something else with it. In this case, maybe you stick an e-meter on the table. You make a little e-meter out of clay and some cans and the guy's holding cans. Now it's very clear there's nothing else that could be going on there except some auditing, right? Maybe it could be word clearing, but maybe you have some uh, piece of paper and on the piece of paper in the clay is written auditor, 
you know, worksheet or something like that. Anyway, whatever you do, you figure it out so that when somebody comes and looks at it, they go, oh, it's an auditing session, and, and that's the pass, and then you've got that clay demonstration done. There's tons and tons of these clay demonstrations on these classes also. You don't see clay demos in the beginning courses, in the basic course room, but you see them all over the place in the academy. So you go through the student hat, and you learn about the clay demos, and you learn about confronting. Then you learn about word clearing, and you learn about how if you go past a word you don't understand, um, you know, you'll have all these physiological phenomena. Now let's actually go through these really quickly. I mentioned earlier that thing with the demo kit and how you have to have mass. Hubbard claims that if you're studying and you don't have the mass of what you're studying and you're, and you're kind of feeling like you need the mass for the thing, you need pictures, you need photographs, you need to do a demo, you need to do something, here's how you'll look. Hubbard says, education in the absence of mass makes a person feel squashed, makes him feel bent, sort of spinny, sort of dead, bored, exasperated. He's going to wind up with a face that feels squashed with headaches and with his stomach feeling funny. He's going to feel dizzy from time to time and very often his eyes are going to hurt. <laughs> okay, now obviously this sounds like somebody who's getting sick uh, in the classroom and that actually is kind of what you're looking for and if you see it or you see this dead, bored, exasperated sort of ugh kind of student, then you probably, as a supervisor, I would send him over to the clay table and I'd say, go do a demo in clay because you're, you're bent, you're spinny, you're not doing good. Um, you know, go over and get some mass and go do a clay demo. And sometimes that would, you know, resolve it and sometimes it wouldn't. I think it resolved it more often than not simply because the guy got to stop reading Hubbard's drivel for a while. <laughs> and a misunderstood word... A bypassed definition gives a person a distinctly blank feeling, a washed out feeling, a not there feeling, and a sort of nervous hysteria will follow in the back of that. Okay, I'm, I'm quoting Hubbard here. Uh, that's the one that produces the blow. Okay, now this is really important because it says the blow, meaning the guy takes off, literally takes off. If a student stops coming to course, it's the supervisor's fault because he let that student go past words he didn't understand. And because the student has words he doesn't understand in the materials, he doesn't want to study it anymore because he doesn't like it because he doesn't understand it. This is all subconsciously, you see. And so he stops showing up. He comes up with reasons and excuses to not show up to class anymore. And you sometimes have to go get him at his house and go, dude, you got to come back to the classroom because... You know, we got to find your misunderstood words because you're not showing up anymore. And the guy's like, yeah, I got fired from my job and my wife is leaving me and I have to do this and I have to do that. As the supervisor, I don't care. Yeah, okay, fine. Your wife's leaving you and you quit your job or your job got, you got fired. Come drown your sorrows in class, man. You got to come back to the classroom. The only way you're going to get fix your life is to do Scientology. So, you know, let's go. And I, again, as the supervisor, I'm going to assume, because he's simply not showing up, that it's because of misunderstood words. It has nothing to do with getting fired and has nothing to do with his wife or his kids or this or that or anything else. It's only misunderstood words. That's the fanaticism with which misunderstood words are handled in Scientology. All right, now I've 
pretty sure I've gotten that across at this point. <laughs> so, all right, then on the client, getting back to the student hat, I'm just walking through the check sheet here. There's all these issues you read about different, um, different uh, ways of clearing words, of uh, uh, different things about misunderstood words. There's really a ton of stuff in here about this. In fact, one of the things about misunderstood words is Hubbard says that there's 10 different ways they can even be misunderstood. I mean, it's not just a word you don't know. It could be a word you think you know and you don't. It could be a word that has a homonymic type of, of situation, like you could be T-H-E-I-R, and you think it means T-H-E-R-E. You think those two words mean the same thing or you have them confused somehow. That could be a homonymic misunderstood word, right? Uh, you could have an omitted definition. You could have, you know, this word, let's say it has five definitions and you know three of them, but you're missing the key one that's used in this context, so you have a misunderstood word and you have to clear it up. Um, you know, there could be lots of reasons why a word is misunderstood. And then you have a form of word clearing that you do on yourself where if you notice that yourself, you're starting to feel tired or dopey or you're, you're the blank, you don't understand what you're reading or you feel like you've gotten to the bottom of a page and you, ha and you can't remember what you were just reading, that means there's a misunderstood word before you went blank and you use that to go find the word and get it cleared up, okay? So if, um, oh, and then there's method nine word clearing, which you learn how to do, where you, where you and another person sit across from each other and you read out loud the material that you're studying, right? You, you read it out loud to this guy who's sitting across from you. He has a copy of the text and he's following along with what you're reading and he's looking at you and looking at the text. He's going back and forth and you have to read it perfectly. If you flub, mess up, hesitate, flutter your eyebrows, cough, wince, do anything other than calmly, coolly reading the text out loud, the word clearer stops you and says, what word or symbol did you not understand? Because according to L. Ron Hubbard, the only reason a person would not clearly, easily, and cleanly read something out loud perfectly from beginning to end is because they have a misunderstood word. And I did hours and hours and hours of this kind of word clearing, both giving and receiving. And I got very, very good at learning how to teach myself to read perfectly out loud when I was sitting in front of a word clearer so I didn't have to clear up words. Because this whole thing gets so, so tiring so quickly. And they just keep hitting you with it. So you learn these coping mechanisms as a student in Scientology to not have to look up all these words that you really already know. But they're making you look them up because of some bullshit non-optimum reaction because you're sitting there studying and you blinked at the wrong time or you're fidgeting with your hand and your pencil or you read a word wrong or you stumble on some word. That, that's it, misunderstood word. You know, and it's just how it goes in Scientology. All right, so you learn how to do that stuff on the student hat. So you're learning everything I'm telling you about here, all this stuff. And again, you're going to go through this stuff um, as many times as you need to until you can do it perfectly. Let me tell you now about pink sheets.
this is a supervisor tool that is used to um, also stop and impede people's progress on their study. <laughs> what happens is if a supervisor, the supervisor is not just standing there, arms akimbo, watching the class, he's got a clipboard. And on the clipboard are pink pieces of paper. They're forms that the supervisor uses. They're called pink sheets. And they, you, what you do is if everybody's going along and, and the supervisor's got a couple minutes on his hands and everybody seems to be doing fine, you take the pink sheet and the clipboard and a pen and you start making observations about a student. You just write Bill, you know, Bill Smith across the top. And you just hang back and you just start watching him. And you just note down what you see. And if you're noticing that he is um, blinking, fidgeting, goofing off, you know, somehow not doing what he's supposed to be doing as a student according to my standards from L. Ron Hubbard as a supervisor, right, as we've gone over, I will then give him an assignment to restudy the material that he's clearly not applying if he's, you know, fidgeting, goofing off, whatever he's doing, and I give him a pink sheet. And the pink sheet is a kind of additional study uh, action that he has been assigned. It's an assignment to, it's a corrective measure to get him to restudy something he's already studied. You would not give a pink sheet on something that the guy has never seen before. The pink sheets are only supposed to be remedial. So you give him the pink sheet and he has to then go back and stop whatever he's doing and go and read the issue or issues that you are correcting him on and get checkouts on them and then get back to his check sheet. I have seen people on pink sheets for days or even weeks because they get hung up on some past thing that they forgot about or didn't know about or... Uh, they do actually do know it. They weren't doing anything wrong, but the supervisor is just giving them the assignment anyway because he's being a jerk. I've done all of the above. And, um, and you have to take a break and go get the pink sheet done. And then once the pink sheet's done, you give it back to the supervisor. He checks you out. And it, once he's satisfied that, you, that the situation's totally fixed, you go back to your check sheet and you keep moving. And um, pink sheets come up, depends on the supervisor, but they can sometimes be pretty frequent. And sometimes not. All right. Oh, yes. And then, of course, you learn about verbal tech. So in Scientology, there is this thing called verbal tech or verbal technology. And the basic rule is that you cannot verbally explain any aspect of Scientology to anyone else, uh, especially in a Scientology classroom or organization. Um, you know, outside Scientology classes, I don't know, Scientologists can talk to each other all they want. But... Um, but they're not supposed to be explaining Scientology to each other or giving each other their various interpretations of it. And that's what you learn on the student hat. This very first class, you, you learn the how to defeat verbal tech checklist and verbal tech penalties. Because uh, there's penalties for this. You're going to be seeing that ethics officer if you go, if you get caught explaining Scientology principles or concepts to each other or talking about it verbally. You're not supposed to be doing that. It's all supposed to be communicated directly from L. Ron Hubbard, from his lips or keyboard to your ears and mind, and that's how it's supposed to go. So verbal tech is a great, big, huge no-no. <laughs> okay. Then you do some drills, and then you get... Um, 
on your second time through. Oh, yes. Then you have to learn how to do those checkouts I was talking about where you, you know, spot check and ask application questions. And that's getting through the first part of the check sheet. Then you get into the second part of the check sheet where now you're going to cover keeping Scientology working. And you're going to cover some more more, uh, high-level stuff about Scientology ethics and uh, that sort of thing. And then you finish the course, okay? So all of what I just laid out is a tour of the student hat course, the very first major course most Scientologists do and what that experience is like. And that was just the first course. So here you have, let's, let's go back to our young adults or anybody really who's coming into Scientology and walking through this process and, and running this, this gauntlet of study tech. You come out the other end, you have learned to suppress your physical reactions to your study materials. You have learned to sit straight in a chair and keep your hands to yourself and study and have a dictionary right there at all times and have a little demo kit there at all times and every now and again just for grins you'll stop what you're doing and you'll pull out some of those little demo pieces and you'll do a little demo and you'll put them back and you'll keep reading. Whether you feel you need to or not you will learn to do that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and you are going to do, you know, you're going to try to do everything you can to keep that supervisor. You're always aware of the supervisor watching you and waiting for to, to, to pounce on you to find your misunderstood words, right? So you're actually setting up a situation where the person is tense. Their attention is not really fully on their materials. It's on how they're doing and what this person is doing who's wandering around watching them the whole time. It's a little creepy and a little weird. And um, you have been convinced that you cannot learn anything anywhere in or out of a Scientology classroom unless you understand every single definition of every single word you run into. So you become a kind of, this goes beyond careful reader. You become a paranoid reader. This is the mindset that this creates. And this, and, and, uh, you know, I'm sure some of you guys who are watching or listening to this might have other ideas, too, of, of some of the stuff that happens from this. But I'm just telling you what, what I experienced or observed with other people as a result of the Scientology indoctrination just on the study tech. Now, if that doesn't constitute a kind of abuse for young people, especially as learners, I mean, I don't know what does. And the, and the harsh truth is that I actually did this training myself when I was in high school, and I tried to apply it to my schoolwork, and it never helped. It never, I wasted so much time in dictionaries trying to clear up, you know, the literature of John Donne and... <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, classic English literature and uh, math. Oh, my God. Trying to apply this to math was insane. So, it, you know, I this was not a day and night black and white experience for me where I was a bad student before and I became a great student. I told myself I was a great student. I was all huffed and puffed up on how great I was and how I had this superior technology, this study tech that was going to see me through school and I was going to just be a brilliant student now. No, that's not at all what happened. I didn't, you know, I was a fine student. I didn't flunk out or anything, but I did not 
get straight A's as a result of applying this material in my high school. And I did it during the summer. I did the student hat during the summer of my sophomore year. So this stuff, uh, through direct application in real life, I have seen over and over again, it just makes study harder and more difficult, not easier. Sure, sometimes you do look up words that you don't understand and you go, oh, who knew that? That's so interesting. And you move on. You know, and there are lots of times, I'm sure, where former Scientologists look at those times or look at some point where they really did not get something and clear up some word that they didn't get and then it made sense and they go, oh my God, it works. Well, sure it works every now and again, but this idea that you have to be paranoid about words and symbols and, and grammar and all of this stuff, it's just totally, completely overboard. But that's the mindset you're in after you finish this class. So what comes after this? <laughs> well, it's called the Professional TRs course. And if you want to talk about abuse, this is where it happens. So let's take a look at the Pro TRs course. Now, first off, TR stands for training routine or training regimen. And, it's, and there are lots of different TRs in Scientology. There are drills that you do to practice some skill and get better at it, mostly having to do with communication or control. We're going to go over them here. Um, I'm not going to demonstrate the TRs or anything. We're going to do that in future videos. I'm just going to walk through this Pro TRs course because um, I want you to get some idea of what people are doing with these TRs. Now, the directions about these TRs are a little weird. Um, it's not meditation. Um, it is not a mental exercise. It ends up becoming quite one, but it's not supposed to be. The TRs, TR0 through TR4, TR0, 1, 2, 3, and 4, are basic drills on communication. The Scientology communication classes that people take have these drills or some variation of these drills as part of them. Even in the basic courses, they do watered down, simple versions of these drills. In the academy, they do them rough, tough, and hard. The harder they are to do and the harder they are to get through, the, the better, the, the more you're actually doing it, okay? Um, it is expected when you do a professional TRs course that you are going to do these TRs to the ultimate degree possible. You're going to spend hours and hours on them and you really want to get the skill of being able to communicate with other people as a result of this, specifically in auditing sessions as an auditor. That's the main thrust of the of, of why you're doing the professional TRs course is to become a competent professional auditor who, with communication alone, can handle any situation no matter what comes up in an auditing session. That is the end result of this course, is somebody who is confident and certain that they can handle any situation in any session no matter what. And that means that they're going to have to be drilled over and over and over again on many, many different scenarios and situations that could come up in auditing. You see where this is going. This is the place where these young adults, if we're going to talk about them, are going to be hit hard, 
over and over and over again. I don't mean physically hit, I mean their buttons are going to be pushed. They're going to be told things, they're going to have things said to them <laughs> that are beyond the pale. Anything is, is available to be said. There isn't anything off limits when you're doing TRs at all. Anything can be said. And almost anything can be done to the person, too, once you get to the TRs where you're actually learning how to control people. But we'll get to that at the end. That's the upper indoctrination TRs. The professional TRs, zero through four, are, look like two people sitting in chairs, sitting across from each other, about three feet apart. That's what it looks like. And it starts with TR0. Actually, it starts with OTTR0, which is sitting there. Uh, with both people in the chairs, with their eyes closed, just sitting there, okay? TR0 is where they open their eyes and they stare at each other. They're looking at each other, again, for hours. And then TR0 bull bait is where the coach is not silent anymore. The person who's doing the drill is silent. He's just sitting there watching. The other person and the coach then tries to throw him off from his confronting, right? He's sitting there just staring at this guy, staring at the coach. He's confronting the coach and he's supposed to be very calm, very chill, no twitches, blinks, fidgets, anything. And the coach's job is to make him crack up or lose or blink or somehow throw that confront off. Um, this is the, these drills, the TR0 drills are the most controversial drills on this communications class, they are also the ones that are most open to abuse. And I do mean abuse. Let's go into how. Um, first off, let me read for you, to you from L. Ron Hubbard. Uh, a Scientology clear would be able to confront the physical universe, other bodies, his own body, other minds, his own mind, and other beings without trimmings. The first step on this road is the drill called training zero confronting. Do it for at least 25 hours and you'll never have trouble with a preclear. No systems allowed. Both feet flat on the floor. No twitches, no squirms, no talk. If you have difficulty, feel the floor and your chair back as you sit. That adds confronting the universe. Confronting isn't just looking. So don't try to confront with your eyeballs only. Do it and may you never be the same again. Nothing like training zero to raise communication level. Now, unbelievably, that used to make sense to me and now it doesn't. <laughs> so if that doesn't make sense to you, you're, you're okay, okay? The term confronting in Scientology is a very, very important term. And Hubbard wrote quite a bit about it. Let me just give you a little bit of theory about this so you'll understand why Scientologists put so much importance on this confronting drill and what significance it has for them. Uh, Hubbard says that which a person can confront, he can handle. The first step of handling anything is gaining an ability to face it. It could be said that war continues as a threat to man because man cannot confront war. The idea of making war so terrible that no one will be able to fight it is the exact reverse of fact, if one wishes to end war. The invention of the longbow, gunpowder, heavy naval cannon, machine guns, liquid fire, and the hydrogen bomb add only more and more certainty that war will continue. 
As each new element which man cannot confront is added to elements he has not been able to confront so far, man engages himself upon a decreasingly ability, a decreasing ability to handle war. We are looking here at the basic anatomy of all problems. Problems start with an inability to confront anything. Whether we apply this to domestic quarrels or to insects, to garbage dumps, or Picasso, one can always trace the beginning of any existing problem to an unwillingness to confront. All right. Now, this is not true at all, but you can see how, if you read that, you could find examples that seemed to fit, and then you'd go, oh, well, that makes sense. Sure, that must be true. No, it's, it's not true, <laughs> but Hubbard convinces you that it is by giving you a fairly simplistic example that somehow you could bend your viewpoint around to see how it could be that way, and you go with it. But it's not, you know, war is not caused by an inability to confront. If anything, you know, I would imagine people are confronting each other a little bit too much in some situations. I mean, they won't stop staring at each other down the barrel of a gun, you know? Like, maybe they could stop confronting each other for a little while, and maybe they'll learn to chill out and live and coexist, right? Like, there's lots of reasons this doesn't make sense, but you can find examples. This is the trickery of Scientology, and I thought it might help to show that. Now, there's some advice for students who are learning how to do this TR0 and learning how to coach it, because you end up doing both things when you're doing this, this professional TRs course. You both learn how to sit in a chair for hours confronting somebody else, but you also learn how to do that bull baiting on another person as well as receive it yourself. It goes both ways. So not only are you the abusee, but you're the abuser. There's a code that was actually written that gives some instructions for some of these uh, coaches. And here are some of the lines from that code. One, the instructor or coach must never neglect an opportunity to evaluate for a student about Scientology. The instructor should invalidate a student's mistakes ruthlessly. Now, this, proper, this is the proper instruction attitude, you see. You've already read Keeping Scientology Working, so you know now that Scientology is a live-or-die effort. You either win with Scientology or you die trying. There's no halfway about it. L. Ron Hubbard makes it very clear in Keeping Scientology Working that um, we are in it for eternity, that there's no half measures with Scientology, and that if we don't make it, then the world is doomed to failure. This is a point of indoctrination that has already happened when the person has gotten to this point where they're doing the professional TRs course. So they're taking all of this very, very seriously. So the uh, coaches invalidate a student's mistake ruthlessly. They are all over it. It's not just, oh, flunk, you messed up. It's flunk. You didn't do that right. Start, right? And, the, and every coaching session begins with start, and that's it. You know, when you're, in, when you're done, you say, okay, that's it. We're done. Uh, and if the guy messes up along the way, you say flunk. You don't say, oh, you messed up. Oh, that was wrong. Oh, gee, I don't think you did that right. You don't say any of that. You say flunk. <laughs> and you give it to them right between the eyes. That's how you're supposed to do it. And I, as the supervisor, was there to enforce that. If people didn't, you know, if people weren't taking this stuff seriously, it was my job to either get them to take it seriously or kick them out and off they go to have a little conversation with the ethics officer. 
L. Ron Hubbard refers to levels of indoctrination when it comes to the TR training. And the, the Pro-TRs course is the first level of indoctrination, and the Professional Upper Indoc course is the second level of indoctrination. But let me read to you what exactly L. Ron Hubbard is trying to do with these drills. The first level, of course, being the communications class, uh, is supposed to teach the fundamentals of communication and give experience in how they're used. The second level of indoctrination involves body control and accomplishes the handling and management, I'm reading from Hubbard now, accomplishes the handling and management of a body other than one's own. The diffidence of persons raised in the social structure of the mid-20th century and in touching another person must be overcome. Originally, we were content to speak to other people and call it auditing. Today, it is found that if we wish to reach lower levels of case, it is absolutely necessary that we touch the other person. The discovery of the diffidence in touching and the use of actual handling of another body was the make-break point of modern auditing. Formerly, when a Scientologist could not get an answer from another person, he was defeated. He could not proceed with auditing. He had to have the other person's permission. Today, this is not the case. Manual contact bypasses the necessity for permission, and no deranged person or unconscious person is going to answer up when spoken to, but he will answer to manual contact. Now, there's a certain frame of mind that's being established here, and this is what I'm trying to get across by reading to you from L. Ron Hubbard. The point of permission, for example, or as we now, you know, would refer to this as consent, is no part of Scientology auditing. If an auditor has to lay hands on a preclear in order to get him to do something, or he feels that he has to do that in order to control him in some fashion, he is drilled by these drills to do that, and to do it in an, just without even having to think about it. This is, the, this is the, the frame of mind that an auditor is getting into. Imagine for a second that you had any psychologist anywhere who was going to counsel or give therapy to somebody and felt that in the course of that counseling session, they had every right to lay their hands on their patient, shake him awake, move his head, grab him by the chin and say, hey, buddy, I'm talking to you. Could you imagine how unproductive and actually even potentially damaging and destructive that kind of psychological counseling could be for somebody? Well, this is how Scientology auditors are trained from the very beginning. Let me give you a little bit more about this. Hubbard refers to a next, the next level of indoctrination, which is the overcoming of the impersistence of an auditor. Formally, I'm reading from Hubbard again, formally all a preclair had to do was cough, sneeze, make an odd statement, and the auditor would stop. It was found that the preclear would go out of session the moment that he stopped the auditor. The preclear was in control of the auditor the moment he could stop the auditor, since stop is part of the formula of control. Therefore, this step is run with the goal of making the auditor persist and bringing the auditor into a state of mind where he can continue on without being stopped by the preclear. Now, now get this. You're going to overwhelm the preclear's the, the person, the, count, the, the person who's receiving counseling, okay, the preclear in Scientology. But again, let's analogize this to any other psychological practice. The psychologist 
has the attitude going in that he's going to get this person through this counseling session despite whatever that person says or does. That's not working with the preclear. That's not working with the counselee, the therapist, the patient. That is working against them. That is working in spite of them. And that is not productive counseling, but that is how Scientology auditing is taught. And the last bit of this upper indoctrination, Hubbard says, the final and fifth level of indoctrination is aimed toward the maintenance of a high tone, in other words, happiness, a high emotional tone, uh, contentment, happiness, joy, that, those kind of tones, um, is, is, the, is the language in Scientology. So the final and fifth level of indoctrination is aimed toward the maintenance of a high tone in the presence of a preclear while handling and controlling and commanding the preclear. While handling and controlling and commanding the preclear. Okay, this is not about, I mean, this is as authoritarian as it gets. The language is completely authoritarian. The attitude is completely authoritarian. And this is what is supposed to be, in Scientology, good auditing. This is what's supposed to make people better, is manhandling them and throwing them around and, and laying your hands on them without their consent and overwhelming their own determinism by you, with yours as the auditor because you know what's better for them than they do. That is Scientology counseling at its heart. And that's why <laughs> it is at, at a fundamental level, regardless of what questions you're asking or what commands you're giving, it is just flat, the whole attitude is completely destructive of any self-help or betterment. It gets people in a place where they're, they're, they become docile, they become weak, they become people who are dependent upon the counselor or the auditor in order to get through the auditing sessions, in order to feel like they have any chance of being able to get better as people, they have to submit they have to consent to being manhandled. They have to give over their willpower and their free will to the auditor because he's the one who knows better. So that's the attitude of good auditing. So that's what people who become auditors are indoctrinated into, you see. And they get indoctrinated into this not just by reading it, but by then practicing and practicing and practicing this. The TR zero to four to get to, to kind of bring this all together now, teach a person how to first confront and then how to sit there and be verbally abused and even shaken that during a, during TR zero, the coach is free to shake the person. They can't stand up and beat on him or hit him or, you know, not, not, not too much at least. They can get away with a little bit and they can't leave bruises. Um, but when you get to the upper indoctrination TRs where you and the coach are standing and your job on the upper indoc TRs is to move the coach's body around the room, it would look, if, if I were to show you me carrying out upper indoc TRs as a coach on a young adult, it would look like I was abusing them. And, uh, and conversely, if the young person was doing it on me and I was, you know, being a good coach and resisting and trying to, you know, be, be rough and tough and, and hard, then it would look like they were abusing me. I mean, they'd literally be grabbing me, throwing me around the room because the, the things you're trying to do on the upper indoc TRs is get used to manhandling and moving people's bodies around. The commands uh, at that 
on that drill are look at that wall, walk over to that wall, touch that wall, turn around. And you keep doing it back and forth, back and forth. You get in a little room like this one and you start on one end and the, 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 the person who's being drilled is the one who's, who looks like they're in charge, but it's the coach who's actually in charge. So the coach says, start. And the student says, look at that wall. And if the guy doesn't do it, he grabs his chin and he tilt, turns his head and he makes him do it. And then he says, you, you know, walk over to that wall. And if the coach doesn't do it, he grabs him by the shoulders and the arm or around the waist or wherever he has to grab him. And he moves that body across the room and gets it to the other side of the room. And it doesn't matter if the coach is 300 pounds and the student is 90 pound weakling. They need to figure out how they're gonna get this 300 pound guy across the room. And it doesn't matter how they do it, they just need to do it. So this totally looks like a wrestling match and that's exactly what it becomes. And it's completely inappropriate highly destructive of any kind of counseling that would actually result in somebody being a better person as a result. But this is what Scientology trains every single auditor in what to do. So let's go back to the TR0. You're sitting there in a chair and you got some, let's say you're a 13 or 14 year old girl. And you've got a 30 year old man sitting in front of you who's now going to bull bait you. He can say, anything to you. He can call you whatever names he wants, whatever racial slurs he wants, whatever insults he wants to throw at you. There is nothing off limits about your appearance, character, conduct, age, school, all of it. Anything. In fact, he wants to find the things that are going to make you react to what he's saying. And if you start crying, that's a reaction and that's a flunk. There's not going to be any sympathy for you as a student doing TRs. So you're going to have to sit there and you're going to have to take it or you're never ever going to get through the drill. And if it looks like your face is getting tense and you're getting pissed off and upset, that's a flunk. Because your job as the student is not to sit there and become a stone man and become impenetrable that's not, that's completely not doing the drill right. You're, as I read earlier, you're supposed to be learning how to confront. So you're supposed to be able to deal with this. So anything that comes your way, you're supposed to be able to deal with. Now there's a certain degree of betterment that comes from that, right? But, but, as with everything in Scientology, they'll take a tiny little good thing that, that has some potential to do some good for somebody and they'll blow it way out of proportion and make it horrible. So, young adult, sex, drugs, anything, doesn't matter. There's nothing off limits. Parents, siblings, school, all of it, okay? and you're trying to dig up what this person's gonna react to. You want the person to, as the coach, you, you want to get all of these buttons, as they're called. You wanna get the buttons out there and you wanna flatten them, which means you have to keep doing the same thing over and over again until there's no reaction. So let's say, for example, that this young woman has a button on her breasts. 
So here's a 30-year-old man staring at her chest, telling her, yeah, they're not coming in so good yet. I think you're probably going to end up being a size double D, but that's going to be a few years from now, and you're not going to like that anyway. You're probably going to need breast reduction surgery, but for now, I don't think you even have enough there for a handful. I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't really see it, you know? Now, okay, now I showed my hands going out there. Generally speaking, you're not going to have any Scientologist go feeling up a young woman who's doing TR0 bulbate. There are certain things that just don't happen, and most people have it pretty under control, that they don't let themselves go sexually assaulting minors while they're doing these drills. There is some level of decorum, but as far as verbally pushing their buttons, there is no limit at all, ever, in a Scientology classroom. They can, like I said, they'll, everything I've already said, they will, they will tromp on those buttons, and they will find them, and they will tromp on them. When I did the class, I was 15 years old, and I had every sexual button you can imagine pushed on me as a young man, you know, dating and, and wanting to have sex. I was still a virgin at the time and all of that. The coach who coached me was an older man, and he just, he had every single euphemism and expression for masturbation you could possibly imagine, most of them absolutely hilarious. And so... Often, TR0 Bulbate ends up looking a little bit like a stand-up performance because you're trying to make the person laugh. But make no mistake, when they're training auditors for this, TR0 Bulbate will involve any subject matter at all, okay? I think I've gotten that point across now. And they, uh, and they drill this stuff for real, and they drill it rough, tough, and hard. So that's... That's where you're going to run into some real abusive language and some potentially really abusive laying on of hands, especially when you move up past TR0 bulbate and you've now got this person in a frame of mind where they can stare at you and they don't react to anything you say or do. And now you're going to teach them how to manhandle a person and you're going to do those upper end doc. TRs. So the Pro-TRs course deals with TR 0 to 4. The Pro-Upper-Indoc course deals with the next level of drills I described where you're walking around and stuff, okay? And these are the first three courses that any Scientologist who wants to do the training side of the bridge is going to do. So all Scientologists pretty much are getting indoctrinated in this material. Pretty much one for one. I mean, it's not, actually, I shouldn't say every single Scientologist because not all of them want to do the training. But I would say for these classes specifically, probably over 50% of Scientologists have done this and been exposed to this material and have approached it in the attitude and form that I've described to you here. So I now keep in mind that after they've gotten through these courses, the next course is learning how to use an e-meter, which we're not going to get into here. And the next classes after that are actual formal auditor training classes. And when you do those classes, you have to do level zero, level one, and then level two before you get to security checking. You don't learn how to do security checking until you get to level two. At level zero, you're running auditing that has to do with communication. At level one, you're running auditing that has to do with problems. And at level two is where you get to the sins and moral transgressions. So when you do each of those auditor training classes, you are further drilled 
on auditing scenarios that you're likely to run into as an auditor when you go to audit those kinds of processes on people. So when you do your class zero course, you're going to be drilled with scenarios about people who don't really want to tell you things or who have communication issues or problems, and you're running Scientology auditing on them. Now, keep in mind, everything we've already covered is still just as true. You're there to get this pre-clear through it despite him. <laughs> and so you don't care what he's saying or doing in the session. Your job is to get this guy through the process. And mainly you're believing the e-meter more so than you're believing the pre-clear. This is so polar opposite of actual, stable, realistic counseling that occurs in psychology that it's really almost a misnomer to call Scientology auditing counseling because that's not what it is. Um, so when you're getting trained as an auditor on level zero, you're going to get drilled by a coach on different scenarios that are going to be presented to you that pre-clears actually could say or do in a real auditing session. So you could run into all kinds of situations, uh, again, having to do with communication at level zero, but when you get to level two, it doesn't matter if you're a 13, 14-year-old auditor who's learning how to do this. The coach's job is to prepare you for what could come up in any kind of auditing session. So he's going to throw at you or she is going to throw at you all kinds of different scenarios. And you're going to go over tons and tons of them over and over and over again. Because when you get drilled as an auditor, you are not done with the drill until you've gone all the way through it from beginning to end without one single flub or error or mess up or flunk. And that takes hours and hours of drilling. So that's where the coaches are going to present scenarios like... I'm going to tell you about a time I masturbated. I'm going to tell you about a time I cheated on my wife, and I'm going to give you all the details. I'm going to tell you about a time that I killed somebody. I'm going to tell you about a time that I stole from my company. I'm going to tell you about a time that I cheated at my sports finale or something. I'm going to tell you about gross and disgusting things I've done with myself to myself. I mean, I'm going to tell you about all kinds of stuff. I'm not looking to tell you real things that I've really done as a coach, as a person. As a coach, my job is to make things up. But of course, I'm going to base it on reality and on what I know and understand and have lived through. So I'm not going to necessarily tell you things personal to me in a coaching session, but I am going to make stuff up that's going to sound an awful lot like the kind of things that are really going to come up in auditing. So, and I'm going to tell them to you over and over again. And if during the course of the drill, you start busting up or laughing or messing up, I found a button, we got to flatten it, and we're going to go over and over and over it until you don't have any reaction to it, until you can do the auditing session perfectly without any mess up, read the meter, keep the worksheets, look at me, get through the whole session Again, this is hours and hours of work. So that is what every single person who's ever done a security check has to go through before they even meet their first real preclear. All of what I described in the last two hours, and it took this long to explain it because as we went over here, there's a lot to know. 
That's what all of these guys go through. And if that's not an abusive system that is set up to create further abuse on these pre-clears, I don't know what is. You see? And I haven't even, I mean, there's tons of details I haven't even gotten into yet. But you get, generally, you get the bigger picture here of Scientology training and how it sets you up and how it creates this attitude. And, and it's really a, a really destructive attitude on the part of the auditors. And that's, and it takes that much indoctrination to get people's heads twisted around because generally speaking, you know, as counselors or as auditors or people who consider that they're trying to do good for other people, they would never treat them the way L. Ron Hubbard tells them they have to treat them. You know, you got to manhandle them. You got to stare at them. You got you to gotta, um, give them the commands over and over and over again. You can't let them out of the auditing room. You have to physically keep them there if necessary, right, to get through all this stuff. Now, you might wonder, we'll just wrap up with this. Why would L. Ron Hubbard create such an authoritarian system and call it counseling? Because to Scientologists, they believe that when a preclear in a session, in a real session, is adversely reacting to what's going on, it's not actually the preclear himself who's doing that adverse reacting. It's his reactive mind. It's this part of his mind that they're trying to address and get rid of. And it's fighting and it's resisting being gotten rid of. And so it's making the preclear act and say and do things that he would not normally say and do. And so the auditor is trained to ignore all that and keep plowing and keep pushing on the preclear because the auditor truly believes that that is the way to help this person, is they have to ignore the person's reactive mind or their bank, as they call it. They got to re ignore the bank and keep on the process because if they keep doing the process, they'll get rid of some of that charge and the person will be better off as a result. They're not better off as a result. It's all a lie. But that's what Scientologists are trained to believe. And I hope that this two-hour stint here has given you a much greater and expanded understanding of why Scientology auditing is so very destructive, not just for the pre-clears, but even for the auditors who are trained to do it. And there you go. Thanks very much for listening to all of this if you've watched all, me, all the way through. Thanks for coming around and uh, being part of my channel. If you see me wearing it this year, it means it's available for you to purchase on my uh, Spreadshirt store, which is linked below. And also up in the corner, there's a little circle with an eye. You can click on that and get to my Spreadshirt store. I have put up some new designs just this last week, which I think you guys are really going to like. And I will be wearing examples of them soon when they come to me in the mail. So uh, anyway, just wanted to throw that little plug out there. And also, of course, if you like the show and my channel and what I'm doing, consider supporting me through Patreon. Thanks, guys. Leave any questions, comments, or feedback in the notes, in the comment section below. I will eventually see them all, um, and I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.